Hey, it's good to be with you. You look fantastic. I've been, uh, I've been among the, the Asians for uh, a couple weeks now, for last 10 days or so, uh, traveling. And Holly and I had a great time. Uh, brother-in-law Daniel Smith went with us, and we teamed up with uh, Dr. Wayne Lee, Wayne Lee Jr., and then we were part of uh, Friends Around the Table in Southeast Asia. So we ended up in Thailand, and uh, Friends Around the Table is where they have about, um, probably about 13 or 14 different nations were represented there. Um, it was so cool to be a part of. I don't know, it, you, you guys, uh, you, you, you may not get excited about the stuff I get excited about. It's okay, it's okay. But since I got the mic, I'll share. No. Um, so here, a couple of highlights for me. Um, anybody ever, ever heard of the country Mongolia? You've heard of Mongolia? A lot of nomadic uh, peoples there. The first generation ever to come to know Jesus, we met about a half dozen of them. The first generation of believer in Mongolia. I mean, we're in a historic part of the United States, Bruton Parish, one of the older churches in the, in the nation. You know, goes back to what, 1600, somewhere in there? And here you're dealing with, I mean, that's an established church, right? But here you're dealing with first generation believers to ever have the gospel. Whoa, that's huge. That's huge. There were a half dozen of the Thai Dom people um, from Laos um, about 20 some years ago when SEAPC first started working. In, in, among those people, there were three Christians in all of the Thai Dom people group. Um, now there are about 1,500, and about a half dozen of them with, were with us, and they had their traditional dress, and it was just, it was just really cool. It was just really cool. I met a, I met a, I met a leader, uh, sat at the table with him um, from North India, who has started himself, started 35,000 churches. 35,000 churches. People in his country don't even know his name because he has to do what he does on, in secret, right? And, uh, and so I, it just gives you perspective, right? Because in America, we think the world kind of revolves around us, but I can't tell you, I've never met any Christian leader that started 35,000 churches in America. Have not, have not. And so the reward in heaven you know, there are going to be long lines standing behind the people that are getting rewards that you will never have heard their name, right? They might have got their name, uh, uh, you know, somebody in the U.S. might have had their face on the front of Charisma magazine, but in heaven, uh, they're, they're going to be dwarfed by people that, that are nobodies that just serve Jesus and just did the thing quietly and God blessed. I mean, it's just, that, so it's very humbling, you know? Um, and so we're, we're excited about the things that the Lord has coming up for us in that. So uh, it was, it was uh, fantastic to be a part of Friends Around the Table. Um, and then we went down to Cambodia. Um, we've been working with SEAPC in Cambodia. Jeremy and I, my son Jeremy and I, went in 2008, and we taught the first 45 school teachers uh, who, were, who were transitioning from Buddhism and became believers. And they got baptized at the end of the week. I taught them on the life of Jesus and uh, seven key events of the life of Jesus. And and they got uh, baptized at the end of the week. Their, their Christian school, well, it's not a Christian school, it's a public school, but their public school, number one school in the nation of Cambodia. And it's in a remote, remote part. And you know why? 
because they start every day with the Lord's Prayer. And now SEAPC went from one school into 435 schools. There's about 135,000 children starting school every morning in Cambodia with the Lord's Prayer. Isn't that crazy? I love to be a part of that. Just a small part. I don't care. I don't care what I, I just, you know, let me carry some of these bags. I just want to be a part of that. And uh, so we went to Cambodia and uh, SEAPC has built um, 10 vocational training centers in, in that province. And so we, uh, we went uh, and we, we had Lighthouse paid for. Lighthouse, this church, paid for uh, a, a gathering of 400 Cambodian leaders to come together to get leadership training. And we taught them for two days. We paid for all of, all of the food. And by the way, whoo, some, some, some kicking meals right there. Cambodian food is, Khmer food is awesome. And, uh, and so we taught them for two days. And I, I, I watched a 60-year-old uh, pastor who got up, who's a former gang member, told us his testimony, got up with a big smile on his face. And he said, all of these years, he's been pastoring now for a number of years. He said, all of these years, I have always felt like I didn't have enough education. I didn't have, uh, I didn't have seminary. He said, I was leading a church, but I didn't feel like I could do it uh, the way I needed to do it. He said, after these two days of training, I finally feel like I can do what God's called me to do with confidence. Isn't that beautiful? So 400 leaders, the largest gathering since COVID in, in that part of the world. And, uh, and we were right there on the ground floor of it, Lighthouse. It was so cool. And um, so I'm looking forward to sharing a, a few more stories about that with you. But, um, I, I, you know, the burden in my heart today, it's in the message. Uh, it's go time. It's go time. It's go time. Say that out loud with me. It's go time. We've got to be going and we've got to be busy about the thing that God's called us to do. And that's not just here locally, that's also, uh, that's also globally. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Hey, um, I want to mention to you just a, a couple of things that, uh, that this does involve you that we need to get right uh, at in our understanding. This year, we're going to do, uh, in addition to Christmas mansions, we're going to do a big uh, uh, event for our Christmas Eve service. Christmas Eve is going to be the service uh, for, for us uh, in our Christmas holiday. Christmas mansions, obviously, outreach and, and get families in, and, and it's good fellowship and good relationship building time. But we're not doing a Christmas Day service, okay? We're not doing a Christmas Day service. So I want you to be aware of that, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why. So here in America, we have uh, somewhere between, depending on how you count them, between 10 and 12 federal holidays for all the American workers that get to take of federal holiday. It's either on a Friday or it's on a Monday, but it gives you a long weekend. And you know what's in the smack dab middle of every weekend? A Sunday. Right? And so yours truly and the people who serve here are serving on Sunday. So they, you might have had a day off, but some of us didn't get a day off. And so what I really, really want us to do is focus all of our energy on making Christmas Eve great so that I can give the team the day off on Sunday morning and they can wake up slowly on a Sunday morning on Christmas day and just spend it with their families. That's my vision, that's my dream, that's my hope. Please join me in making that a reality. Now, the reason this is important and why I'm announcing it now 
is because invariably, see, we're going to hit it on social media. We're going to put it on the sign. We're going to put it out there, and somebody's going to show up and hit the hit the, the the little button on the on the doorknob out there, and they're going to say, "Hey, how come there's no church? It's Christmas Day." And the little ring app will light up on somebody's phone, and they'll be like, "Oh, I'm sorry, you came out on Christmas Day when we're not." And they're the only—it's the only Sunday they ever go to church. And it wasn't open. Maybe they'll think the rapture happened and they'll fall to their knees and get saved right there. I don't know. But, but uh, please help me out and let's communicate that. I, I wanted you to be aware of the why. You know, those of us that are serving, and I, and I love what I'm doing. It's no complaints, but, but uh, I know that young families love to have Christmas together with their kids, gathered around the tree, get up and just not have anywhere to go, and I want that to happen. It doesn't happen every year that Christmas falls on Sunday, but it does this year, and so uh, I wanted you to be aware of what we're doing. So make sure you pass the word and invite everybody that you know that might only come to church on Christmas Day. Or, or Christmas at Christmas time, bring them on Christmas Eve and we'll have a great time together. Amen? All right. They still had one in them, Danita. All right. Thank you so much. Um, so today, uh, I want to get into the Word with you. If you have the Version app, just open the Version app, click on the little more buttons down on the right-hand side. It'll open up. You'll see events. Click on events and uh, you can pick, pull up the Lighthouse notes right there. Same notes are right there in front of you. I told, Andy, let me borrow these real quick. Um, you know, we've, we've gone from half a page to a full page, and the print is bigger. <laughs> I, I told Holly, I said, I don't know if this is good. I don't know what this means, but uh, the print is bigger. We haven't gone to, gone to large print. Anybody seen those large print Bibles, right? So uh, anyway. Anyway, it's just a fun thing. Anyway, so the notes right there, um, but in your notes here, here you go, you can have that back. I could make a paper airplane, but it wouldn't fly very good. So let me give you a, a, a little bit of context for uh, this passage. This is in, we're gonna be in John chapter 20, and, in, and it's important for you as a Bible believer to understand the importance of the context of every verse that's in the scripture. Um, each verse was written by a particular author, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. There are about 44 uh, biblical authors, but they're all inspired of the Holy Spirit, and they had something unique to say. So you can't judge uh, what John says by Paul, and you can't judge what Luke says by, by John. You have to let them all say what they want to say so that you can get a proper perspective. Now, when you look at the book of John, you're going to find some patterns, and I love, there's some patterns that kind of pull together and get in our crosshairs in this, uh, in this uh, passage in John chapter 20. Um, if you were to go one, one uh, chapter back into 21, John would say, as he looks back over all that he said in his, in his gospel, he said, these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God and that by believing you might have life in his name. So that's how he finishes his gospel. And so he, he says some very unique things. He says something unique at the front end, we'll get to in a minute, and then he gets to the end, and he says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if you were to start in the book of Matthew, the first of the three, what we call the synoptic gospels, they're similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they all kind of borrow some of the same material, 
Matthew would have said, I want you to understand that Jesus is the son of David. So all the way through the book of Matthew, you'll find Old Testament scripture, which if you're a Gentile, you don't read the Old Testament scripture. You don't really care about it. But, but Matthew was, uh, he wanted people to understand that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And so he wanted them to, to know Jesus, the son of David. John would say, Jesus, the son of God. Tracking with me? We're talking about the same person, but two different perspectives, two different realities, two different audiences. Now, um, so I, I, want, I want you to, to see this. This is, this is so cool in this, this passage. John chapter 20. If you'll read this with me out loud, let's just go down to verse 23. We won't do the last two verses that are in here. On the evening of that first day of the week, I can't hear you, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, uh, in this, this text, what's so powerful about it, it says the, the evening of the first day of the week. This is right after the resurrection of Jesus. This is the first people that Jesus goes to after his resurrection are those boneheads, his disciples that followed him around for three years and still didn't believe half the time, right? But let's not be so hard on the disciples, and here's why. Because even though they followed Jesus around and they, they had the greatest amount of light right there in front of them the entire time, they didn't have the person of the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. They were not born again until John chapter 20. How do I know that? Because we get born again by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you can't believe in the empty tomb. Right? So the empty tomb has now happened, and the first thing that Jesus does, he goes right to, uh, 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 right to this little room where the disciples are all gathered, and they're all, oh no, oh no, they're Jews, they're going to come and get us. Jesus was hung like a criminal, they're going to come get us too. Oh, I love this part. Because the Bible says they had the doors locked and Jesus just showed up in the middle of the room. You ever do a study on the I am's of Jesus? They're all found in the book of John. You remember the I am the door? You see, if you're Jesus and you're the door, you can go anywhere. You don't have to have a locked door or an unlocked door. You are the door. Anywhere you want to go, you're there. Why? Because he is the door. And so Jesus comes and stands among them. Now, how many of you remember how the book of John starts? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now, fascinating, isn't it? That there, this, is, this is the book of John, but if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So 
Notice this pattern with me. John starts his gospel similarly to how the Bible starts in the book of Genesis. And so in this moment, Jesus walks into the room in John chapter 20. And what does he do? The first thing he says, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I'm sending you. And then what does he do? He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now we know this is their new birth experience because the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of them and they, and they receive the life of Jesus at this moment. This is their new life. This is the Zoe life of God. Where did we find that in the Bible? Where has it ever been said that God, whoo, early in the first chapters of the book of Genesis, right? Where God forms his mud man all up and what does he have to do? He has to breathe. He has to breathe into the nostrils of Adam. So John wants us to see this pattern and he's the only one that writes this story. He's the only one that brings this to bear. And he wants us to understand that there's a pattern that God follows at, at the, way, the, the way that he goes about doing what he's doing. And the spirit and the word always agree. The spirit and the word. So Jesus is the word and he breathes the Holy Spirit and disciples come alive. And he says, as the Father has sent me. Let's say this out loud together. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. All of eternity is in that little room in Jerusalem. Everything that God sent Jesus to do was all at risk in a room full of a, a dozen disciples, not even a dozen at this point. They're all gathered in that place. The message of the gospel that will affect billions of people throughout history is coalesced right there in that room, this nuclear environment, this, uh, this atomic moment when Jesus breathes in them and he looks at his disciples and he says, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. How does that ripple on the inside of you? Do you understand God partnering with mankind? Do you understand that he's saying, I'm, I'm putting my mission of forgiveness into your hands and you got to decide what you're going to do with it. As the Father has sent me, was there any other way to God except through Jesus? Absolutely not. This is, Jesus is the one way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But now that message has been committed to a group of people, and Jesus wants them to understand that Holy Spirit is on the inside of them, but it's not just for them that they've got a message and they've got a ministry and he is sending them forth. And if they don't carry this message of forgiveness, then people will not be forgiven. See, it's the Lord's church. It's the Lord's mission. It's not ours. We can't touch it. If we touch it, we, we miss it. Here's the point of what Jesus was saying. He's saying that you have a commission that's been given to you. It's not about you. It's about the commission that you are sent with. It's not about your personality. It's not about your style. Will God use those things? Yes, he will. But ultimately, it's about the mission that he's put on the inside of you to act out. And so this is what Jesus is saying. 
he's saying, as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. Fully appointed, there's no higher appointment. He is the ancient of days. All, all things bow before his feet. He, he, he is the one who appoints. Man doesn't appoint. Man responds to those whom God has appointed, but God is the one who appointed. He doesn't consult you or me. Amen? He doesn't consult us. He, he just does it, and we have to watch what he's done. Fully anointed. There's no greater mantle of authority. Jesus is saying, uh, he's saying that when he came on the scene, that the work that he did was accomplished through the authority of the Father. He said, the works that I do are not my works. They're the Father's works. He's authorized by the Father, fully equipped. There's no fuller complement of keys and tools for the work. Now, this word sent is an amazing word because it means that you are sent with a, with a, a commission, with the king's authority. It's like you're a signet ring. It's like you're carrying all of, the, uh, all of the, the kingdom reality with you when you go. And this is literally what Jesus is saying. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. I'm authorizing you. I'm sending you. Here, here's where this is important. In Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 15, uh, there's a linear, kind of a linear argument that Paul's going to lay out. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who, puts, who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now notice he's gonna get, he's gonna take that center word, call, and then he's gonna trade on it. And then he's gonna go from one verse to the next verse. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? See, if you don't believe he exists, you won't call on him. It's impossible. Why would you call on air? But if you believe there's a God, you'd call on him, right? And then he goes on, he says, and, and uh, he said, uh, and how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How do you get to belief? You gotta hear. You gotta hear the message. Somebody has to share it with you. Somebody has to talk to you about it. Somebody has to communicate the truth of the gospel to you. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are, here's our word, sent. 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 Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You see, it's not just up to us. We've been sent. God has sent us. It's go time, church. It's go time. God has sent us into the world for such a time as this. He has anointed us. He has equipped us. He has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And then he says, get going. Get going, right? We cannot go unless we are sent. What does it mean, this idea of being a sent one? It means that you have, you have the full equipping of the kingdom that you need to do what it is that God has called you to do. You, you don't lack anything. 
You've got what you need. Uh, in the, the early church, uh, they, they waited in the city until they received the gift the Father had promised. This is what Jesus tells them to do. Notice that it's, uh, and this is, this is why I believe that a second work of grace uh, is important for our understanding. The first one was in John chapter 20, receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is on the inside of them. But that same group of believers are the people that Jesus said, wait in the city until you receive the gift. Is there a second work of grace? Is there a second work of the the Holy Spirit? Absolutely there is. Why? If they had everything they needed in John chapter 20, why would Jesus tell them in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? It's the same group of people, but you follow the pattern out and the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And so they are sent. What's this idea of being sent? Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been found yourself in a place and you got and you go, I didn't, I didn't notice this, I didn't recognize this, I didn't understand this, but I know I was sent for this moment. Like I'm where I'm supposed to be right now, saying the stuff I'm supposed to be saying with the people I'm supposed to be saying it to. I think one of the first times this ever happened to me, I was in Bible college. Um, I've, I've always been an early riser, but I, 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 you know, I, I became a, a person that stayed up later. And so I'd go to bed about midnight, uh, drink a half a pot of coffee before I went to bed, woke up at 4.30 in the morning, drink the other half a pot of coffee and go to work. It's not a recipe that's sustainable, by the way. And so I, I was working at UPS and uh, I had to be there like at five and I worked from five to about 9.30 every morning. And uh, I worked on what was called a straight line belt. There's two different uh, ways that they load package cars. Back then you don't really care about all this, but I'm gonna tell you because it's part of the story. Um, and so there were slides and they were straight line belts. The slides just meant that there was a belt up high and all of the packages would come down and slide down and wait for the, the driver or the package card loader to go pick them up and put them in all their trucks in the package cars. And then there was a straight line belt and the straight line belt had one slide and two guys at the bottom that would shuffle the packages to either side of the belt. And the guys had to, who were loading package cars and I was one on the straight line belt, you had to get it while it was moving, right? The slide meant it was waiting for you and, uh, but the, the straight line belt said, you know, you got to get it and run and get it and run and get it and run. So I, I memorized all the roads, all the streets on, on my three cars that I was loading. And uh, so you'd look at an address and you'd have to go get it off the belt, go put it up, run back, right? Well, periodically on the straight line belt, around Christmas time, the load get really, really heavy. And the, the, the slide at the, the, the front end was like a big funnel and it would load up with, package, uh, with uh, packages so much that it would jam. And somebody would yell, jam up! And then a guy down at that end would just start chucking packages. I'm sorry if Grandma's Crystal was in one of your packages that year because there, there was a guy down, and I didn't, I didn't know him at the time, but you could hear him cuss all the way. You know, I was, I was like probably about 50 yards down, and you'd hear this guy, rawr, 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 you know, stuff I won't repeat on Sunday morning. And he was screaming and hollering, chucking packages everywhere, trying to get it, things freed back up and all that. And, and I just had this burden one morning. I was like, Lord, I'd really like to talk to that guy. And I didn't know why. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm normally like, oh, that'd be a, like a confrontation. I, I didn't know why. I'm just like, I'd really like to have a talk to that guy about his life. Prayed, prayed it and then went on back. Well, a couple of days later, he ended up 
being, you know, uh, having another sub come down. And so he ended up across the belt from me. And, and you know, you got to understand that, again, both of us are working diligently. So, so it's like, hey, how's it going? And then you come back and get your answer. I mean, you know, it was like you couldn't have like a regular conversation, right? And so, and so, uh, I, so I'm like, Lord, you brought him down here. What, what am I going to say to him? And I, I'm, I'm in Bible college, right? I'm, all I'm doing is studying, you know, how to study the Bible, and I'm studying scriptures, and I'm studying all kinds of Christian books, and I don't really know how to start a conversation with this guy. I'm not really sure, you know. Uh, you know, I didn't want to talk to him about his cussing. I mean, that really wasn't, you know, my job or whatever. But I, I had this thought. I, I, I said, I, you know, I was reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. Anybody ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? It, it's an old book that just basically describes all the, all the Christian martyrs back up until that time and, uh, and how they died, you know. And, uh, and so I was reading it, and for whatever the reason, John Huss, who's the founder of the Hussites, he, uh, he was burned at the stake because he had spoken out against uh, the biblical foundation for the Pope, right? And so he had spoken out against the Pope and said, I can't find it in the word anywhere, and he's a conservative guy. And so they, they uh, try him for heresies, found guilty, and they put, him, uh, they put him on the stake and they burn him alive. 1416, I think, something like that. So I don't know what, this guy was just, fascinating to me. And so I, I just thought, hey, I'll tell you something I'm reading. <laughs> and I start this conversation about, yeah, I was reading about this guy. Yeah, his, his name's John Huss. And, you know, I'm going back and forth. I'm going on my package card and I'm loading it, come back, you know. And, and he's like, well, where was he from? And he starts asking me a couple questions. I said, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You know, he lived at this time. And, 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 you know, some of these martyrs, and I can't remember the story exactly about John Huss here 30 some years later, but some of these martyrs said, you don't even have to tie my hands. I'll just stand here. I want to lift my hands and worship Jesus when I go up in the flame. I mean, these guys are just rat singing hymns. It was a witness, right? It was a witness. You ever say, Lord, set me on fire for you? <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. So I'm back and forth, back and forth, package car belt, package car belt. I, I, I end up over there, and, uh, and I, said, I said, you know, isn't it amazing how people just will give their lives to God? I said, Hey, I've been doing a lot of talking. Tell me a little bit about yourself. He said, well, the first thing you need to know is my first name's John and my last name is Huss. I see you're joking. No. He said, I'm sure I'm probably related. 1400s, this would have been in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And in that moment, I understood that I was sent to it. In that moment, I recognized that it wasn't about Ken Kramer. It was about there was a message that this man needed to hear, and I was sent to give him a message at the straight line belt at UPS on a cold day in Pennsylvania. God will send you to people. He will send you. I could have said a thousand other things that morning. 
I could have picked a dozen other characters in the Fox's Book of Martyrs to talk about that day. My mind wasn't even working well. But Jesus had his number and his name. You see, God cares so much about the world that he lives, that we live in, that he will send us to people just when they need us, just when they need that word. And I've found that I'm kind of addicted to these moments now because there's nothing like God using you to take his message to people that need him. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus didn't leave anything out of his commission. He didn't shortchange you or me. He's still doing miracles. He, he's still giving words of knowledge. He's still giving faith. He's still imparting everything that a person would need in order to believe in him. I didn't get a chance to pray the prayer with John Huss that day. He was too shocked. He said, man, I got to process this. I said, well, tell me what you believe about God. Why should he let you into his heaven? And he was a good works guy. I said, well, I think if I do enough good stuff, it'll outweigh the bad stuff. I said, well, you could, you could think that, but you'd be thinking wrong because the Bible says that it's through the shedding of blood that forgiveness of sins comes. And Jesus already did what you can't do, so you just gotta put your trust in what Jesus did and stop trusting in what you can do because nothing that we could ever do would ever be good enough. Put your trust in what he has done, right? Put your trust in what he's done. God sends us with his message. He sends us equipped. He sends us. I, I couldn't have prepared for that moment. You know what? God doesn't let you in on, a, on what he's doing a lot of times because you would really mess it up. Right? I could just, uh, so if the Lord woke me up at 4.30 that morning, now you're gonna meet a guy today and I want you to study the life of John Huss really well because you're gonna need to talk to him about John I didn't think anything about that. I just showed up. See, it's, it's more about your availability than your ability any day of the week. Just be available. Just wake up and pray, Jesus, use me today. Amen. And you know what? He'll take you up on that. He'll take you up on it. You just keep doing it. You just keep saying that. Jesus, use me today. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is Acts 1.8. That, that word power means enablement. In other words, you don't bring your abilities to God. You bring your availability to God and he gives you the power to do what you need to do. We have this treasure in jars of clay, right? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The point is that, that, that God wants to do stuff through you that will blow people's minds that the only thing you can do is say, well, that, that was God. In fact, I'm just as surprised as you are. Right? I mean, it's the way it is. And now, here's the thing that you need to understand about what Jesus is saying in Acts 1.8. 
and I'll, I'll hear this from time to time, let it not come from your lips around my ears, okay? I'm just giving, giving you this forewarning. Why do we give all this money to missions when there are people around us that need the Lord? Why do we feed starving children in Cambodia when there are children in Gloucester County that need food? Here's why. Because the word says here in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. He didn't say, when you win Jerusalem, then you'll be strong enough and you'll have a platform and you can go to Judea and you'll have a harvest there. And then when you have fully reached, I mean, this is our linear thinking. When you fully reach Judea, then you go to Samaria, then you go to the other mountain. He didn't say that. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts. It's, it's not one and then the other. It's all four at once. Amen. And you just need to know your pastor has a lot more passion for people who will live and die and never hear Jesus the first time than for people who have been denying God in the sound of the gospel is in their ears and they can pass 15 Christian television stations on their, on their TV to go stay in sin. Like I don't, I, I have less compassion for that kind of thinking than, than here I was in Mongolia and how long did it take for the gospel to get to Mongolia? I don't know, but it's been over 400 years in Virginia and they just got it. Are you tracking with me? You understand where I'm coming from? So, so the unreached have to be reached. Why? Because Jesus said, this gospel uh, shall be preached to all nations and then the end will come. So if you want to see Jesus, let's get going. Let's stop talking about what the best end time teacher is and let's just recognize that you're already in your last days and so am I. What time is it? It's time to win somebody to Jesus. That's what time it is. What time, what, where are we on God's clock? I don't know, but there ain't enough time to do the job that we got to do. And I'm just gonna keep the main thing the main thing, right? Because, you know, end time teachers will come and they'll go and some were right and some were wrong. And I, I just have a conviction that we're gonna stand before Jesus. He's gonna set all of our doctrine straight when we see him but I just want to guarantee there's a lot more people in heaven because I was here on earth. Amen. It's my job. That's our job, right? So uh, going back into the sending, Acts 12, 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. In the, pro in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, and when they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they, play, they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. 
It goes on uh, to Acts 15. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. Now, the, the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 13 is doing church like no other church had ever done church. The church at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit was poured out on them, but they were still doing things the old structural way. When they selected leaders, they said, well, we got to have 12 because Jesus had 12 and we lost, uh, we've lost Judas. So now they, they vote somebody in. And, uh, and, the, and that's a Jewish church. And because it's a Jewish church, the 12 tribes were very important. But you go on into the book of Acts in Acts chapter 13, and now you have a multi-ethnic church. You have Jews, you have Gentiles, you have all different economic strata. And the way they got to their decision-making was that they had prophets and they had teachers. And they prayed and they fasted and they worshiped and Holy Spirit spoke. And what did Holy Spirit say? Set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. They weren't elected. It wasn't a beauty contest. It wasn't, let's, let's vote these guys in. No, it was a Holy Spirit spoke to the congregation and said, there's a work that's got to be done. And these guys have been faithful in God. We've been watching God progress in their lives, set them apart for the work that I've called them to. Up until this time, Saul has not been an apostle because the word apostle means sent one. Up until this time, he was a teacher. But in that moment, he becomes an apostle when the church says, Holy Spirit has called these guys to the work and they sent them out. They sent them out. Lighthouse, God is sending us. He's sending us as a congregation. He sent us last week to Cambodia to do a work there. He's sending us to the nations. For some of you, you've never had a passport. Get your passport. Because God's gonna tap you to go. One preacher said it this way, we're either sending, going, or disobedient. Why? Because the church is a go structure. You don't believe me? The, the seven churches of Revelation are not in existence any longer. If, the, if a church was just gonna get raised up and be there f perpetually, then it could be sedentary and it could just, but no, the church is a ghost structure. This one tells that one, that one tells another one, that one tells another one. And this is how the gates of hell shall not prevail. Why? Because the church is always moving. We're always pushing back darkness. We're always pushing back uh, what, what the enemy has set up against the knowledge of God. We're always pushing that back. We walk, we pray, God breaks down the walls, we carry the gospel in. And, and it's amazing what happens when we follow through on being sent forth. God hasn't called us to just sit here on the side of Route 17 in ordinary Virginia and be ordinary. He's not called us to that. He's called us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. And so we're going to fill those blanks in, but, but you've got to say, I'm sent by God with a, with a commission, with an anointing. There are people that he is sending me to. And you get serious about that. You begin to pray into that. You begin to look into that and say, you know why? Because that's when you will discover your tribe. And that's when your tribe will discover you. Who are you sent to? I told you one of the stories. Second story 
that I would share um, has to do with early 2000s. I was down at Bethel Temple. Ron Johnson was the pastor there and they had done a two or three international apostolic, two or three, was there more than that? John and Molly were there at the time. A couple of years that, that they would, Bethel would host these leaders from around the world. Um, the brother that I mentioned earlier from North India, there was a pastor from Indonesia that had started 10,000 churches, you know, in Indonesia. And I thought, these guys, I, 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 I puzzled as a young man in the Lord. I said, Lord, how is it that all I can do is put a sermon together for a Sunday morning? And I got this little county that I'm, I'm trying to pastor with, you know, 35,000 people at that time. And these guys, these guys have whole nations. Like it's blowing my mind how that in their 24-7, they've only got 24-7 as well, right? Same Holy Spirit, read the same Bible that I do. How, how is it that they're discipling a whole nation? How is it that they're, you know, but I, I found when I got in that room that I had found my tribe. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is why I'm on the planet. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm taking up space. I'm walking around listening to the kind of stories that they're telling, and I'm saying, I want to tell those stories too. I want to tell those stories too. Made me come alive. One more personal story just happened. So since the early 90s, Mark Geppert, who was at Bethel Temple as a children's pastor at that time, and he's taught attack lambs, and we've had the Gepperts in here a lot with SEAPC. Mark's been in my life since the early 90s, and he's, he's a, a personal friend, but he's also a hero of mine. Anybody that God has used to open up the gospel into like 163 nations in his lifetime through his prayer life. His prayer, his prayer life. His prayer life. And then I was reading all of Mark's stuff and then Dr. Wayne Lee, who I've walked with for about 15 years. Mark's the apostle to the nations, but, uh, and I, Doc wouldn't say this about himself, but he's the apostle of the church. There is nobody that in 50 years has studied more deeply, has, has more profoundly affected the church than Dr. Wayne Lee. His, his teaching is in probably about 15,000 churches. He's raised up 500 consultants with advanced degrees, but an understanding a deep understanding of the church. Incredible. But my two heroes ended up meeting in Bangkok in an unarranged meeting at the Novotel outside the Bangkok airport. We never told them we were coming in and staying at the hotel and they never told us they were leaving out at that time. We couldn't have more perfectly set it up. And it doesn't probably mean anything to you but it meant the world to me. And I saw this convergence of what I knew that church life could do in the nations. I saw it happen right there. And I, and I saw the doors swing wide for us to be able to do what we're doing and at four different friends around the table in 2023 and to, and to take what we were able to, to do in Cambodia but to do it in about 140 nations that are going to be represented in 2023 from ordinary Virginia. You see, in God, one church can make a world of difference in the nations and in the, neighbor, in the neighborhood. 
one church. We've got to be that church because the Father has sent us. Jesus has sent us. We have that same commission. We've got to go. He is sending us. And he is sending us in, in a number of different ways. Opportunities that we will miss. He's, he's sending us to the people that need to be at Blue Christmas on Thursday night. People that have lost loved ones. He's sending us. He's sending us to people in the community that have a, a hang-up or an addiction and they need to be at overcomers because if, they, if we put a little bit of, if we put a little support around them, they could make it. But they're by themselves and they can't make it. And we gotta get around them. He's sending us. He's sending us to uh, families that don't have family around here because maybe they're military. But if we brought them out to Christmas mansions, they would find family. He's sending us. How is he sending you? How is he sending you? You can be a small part of a very big thing. A very big thing. See, that's the beauty of it. Here's what you gotta trade in though. You gotta trade in that you're a big part of your own story. Some of us are a big part of a very small thing. We're building our own fiefdom. We're, we're building idols to our own names. We're saying, look at me. And that's a polar opposite of look at Jesus. Our message is look at Jesus. Right? That's our message. Let's stand this morning. Fathers, we bow our heads before you, we recognize, Jesus, that you are the servant of the universe. You have served us. You spanned the distance when the Father sent you from heaven. You, you took on the form of a man. And you became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. You didn't demand your rights, you gave them all up. And you served us. You served us by being resolute. From the time you were a boy, Jesus, you said, I must be in my father's house. I must be about my father's business. And when you hung on the cross, you said, it is finished. God, forgive us at Lighthouse for being distracted. Forgive us for playing marbles with the diamonds of, of the kingdom truths that we don't realize, Lord, the reality of the kingdom and your sending power and your great big father's sending heart that you just want us to go tell your kids that you haven't forgotten about them. There's a God who knows your name. There's a God who knows your future. There's a God who cares for you and who sees you when you're in pain.